Open your Bibles this morning to uh, to the middle, to Psalm 16, the book of Psalms, this sort of songbook of the Old Testament, songbook of all of Scripture. It's kind of right in the middle of your Bible. Go to Psalm 16. We'll get there in just a moment. This week and next week, as we are kind of beginning, still beginning the new year, I'd like to revisit our mission and vision together as a church and to bring from God's Word some encouragement, some uh, sharpening, and, and even a challenge to us as we uh, pursue fulfilling our mission and vision together as a church. Uh, many of you know that I enjoy coffee a lot. And uh, I, I don't know that I would call myself a coffee snob because I don't, uh, I don't make fun of people if they don't drink the best kind of coffee. But I enjoy drinking all sorts of coffee, especially uh, new blends and new roasts and that sort of thing. We, when we lived in California, got to know some very good friends of ours who themselves got involved in the uh, coffee industry roasting uh, for some uh, gourmet uh, uh, exclusive coffee roasters there in the Bay Area. Uh, they have since moved to Texas, and they've opened their own coffee roasting company now, and I bought two bags of it at uh, no small expense, but, uh, but it was totally worth it for uh, stuff that you can get that's better than what you get at Sam's Club or Costco or whatever comes in a 12-pound bag. Um, I love coffee. Not just for the, the, the jolt, not just for the way that it helps me wake up in the morning, but I love the flavor of coffee. And some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, and that's okay. But those of you who also love coffee, enjoy being crazy like me. Those of you who love coffee, that was a hearty amen. Wow. Um, I, I did not expect that. But my, so my enjoyment of coffee, though, does not just lead me to want to drink it on, uh, you know, uh, out, of the, out of the coffee maker uh, in my house every day, but to enjoy coffee in all of its different forms. We have, I don't know, probably half a dozen or so different brew, coffee brewing devices at our house. We have a regular coffee maker. We've got a, a Chemex coffee maker. Those of you who are in the know, you know what that's about. We've got a French press. We don't have an espresso maker. So if any of you want to pull together for a Christmas gift for your pastor... I'm just saying we've got several months to work toward. I'm kidding. Don't, don't get me an espresso maker. We have, I, have a, I have a one cup pour over uh, kind of deal in, in my own office. We have, a, we have a Keurig coffee maker in the office as well, and that's good in a pinch when it's an emergency. That's not the best kind of coffee, but it'll do. Um, my enjoyment of coffee uh, maybe found its peak, its pinnacle when I was working at a coffee shop, and I came into the understanding of the joys of espresso. There we go. All right. It just, and and that's, that's heavy duty. I mean, you've got to love coffee to enjoy espresso. But straight out of the machine, you just slam that, those two ounces of intense, dark, thick coffee down your throat, and there is nothing like it. Um, some of you are thinking I'm just crazier but, uh, than it was. When, but my love of coffee leads me to enjoy it in all of its forms, and not just to enjoy it in all of its forms and to learn how to make it in all of its uh, different brewing styles and that sort of thing, but to share it with other people. When I find a coffee shop that I like, I like to take new people to it. Uh, by the way, there's a good one in town just off of Rio Grande and I-40 called Cut Bow Coffee. Go there if you can. Support your local coffee roasters. But when I find a good coffee roast or a good coffee joint or a friend that I just enjoyed uh, spending time with. I want to make coffee a part of that because I love coffee and all of its different varieties. My problem, I, I think our problem though, friends, is that sometimes we love coffee and 
things like it. Maybe you're a tea person, just substitute tea or pancakes or whatever sort of person you are. Substitute for that. And we love those things and all of their variety and sharing the experiences that come around more than we actually, or in a way different from how we love and enjoy God. Far too often, I think that we love God, not like we love coffee or tea or pancakes, but we love God like we love that sketchy uncle of ours. You know, the one that we tolerate just because we're supposed to. We don't love him because we like him. We love him because he's family. And what else are you going to do? You know, sometimes we love God, not like we love coffee, but we love God like we love that sketchy uncle. We, we tolerate his presence. We, we, we feel that his presence among us is maybe more of a burden or a hindrance than it is a joy. Dear friends, it is God's intention for us who know Christ to love him, not like we love that sketchy uncle, but to love him and enjoy him the way that we love things like coffee, tea, pancakes, to delight in all of God's many glorious attributes, the the multifaceted wonder of his very nature, to love God and everything about him with such an intensity that it drives us to experience more and more of him in every area of our lives, to share him with those that we love and to care about, to love God should blow our love for things of this world totally out of the water. We should love God and enjoy him. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 16 in just a moment. And there we'll find that in the heart, in the, the, the perspective of the psalmist, it is the Lord himself, it is God himself, who is the greatest good and the greatest delight, the greatest pleasure, the greatest enjoyment of the psalmist in every season of his life. I want to lead us to understand this morning from Psalm 16 that to glorify God, which is part of our mission as a church, to glorify God is to enjoy Him. And to enjoy God is to glorify Him. Dear friends, we exist to find our greatest delight, our greatest pleasure in God and to do all things for His glory. I would hope that we would understand this morning that glorifying God corresponds to our enjoyment of him the amount that we glorify the way that we glorify god is directly tied to how we enjoy who he is and likewise our enjoyment of god leads us to glorify him in appropriate and in meaningful ways i said i want to take a couple of weeks at the beginning of the year to talk about our mission and our vision as a church Let's look first at our mission. You have this there in your worship guide. We'll get to Psalm 16 in just a moment, I promise. This is our mission as a church. You can find it on the front side of your worship guide. They're printed right on the very bottom of the cover page there. But this is our mission as a church. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you look at that mission statement that we as a church work together to to form over two years ago. What pops out to you is the load-bearing verb of that statement. Uh, exist is the first verb. We exist, but, but then what defines our existence? What is the purpose of our existence as a church? To glorify God. To glorify God. And I want to camp out on that idea, on that thought of glorifying God this morning. Why do we exist to glorify God? Why is that part of our mission statement? Well, It's what the whole of our lives are meant for. There are several places in Scripture where God instructs His people that the things that He is doing for them is for His own sake, for His namesake, for His glory, that He might be known throughout the whole world. 
The two places I want to call to us, uh, call our attention to in particular, and just very quickly, are these. First is Paul, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every little thing of your life, whether you're eating or drinking or every little mundane moment of your life, all of it is meant to be for the glory of God. Peter, in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, says this, not necessarily with mundane moment-by-moment things, but this now with dealing uh, how we use, how we live with our spiritual gifts in the world. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, as good managers of God's varied grace. So whoever speaks, if you have a, a, a speaking spiritual gift, you're a teacher, you're an encourager, you're a, a, a preacher or a, a pastor. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves. So if you have a spiritual gift of hospitality or help or, uh, uh, or just caring for those in need, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, and that's a... Uh, an important clause, in order that we do all of, the, all of the things, we act in every way that God has gifted us to act, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen, says Peter. So whether in every small moment, eating or drinking, or every uh, act of significance in our life as we work out of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, whether small or big, insignificant or very significant, all of our lives are meant to be for God's glory. Well, what in the world does it mean to glorify God? It's one thing to talk about our lives being all for his glory, but it's another thing altogether to, uh, maybe not altogether, but it helps us to understand what it means to glorify God in that sense. Here's a definition of what it means to glorify God, and you can write this down uh, in your notes section. To glorify God means to bestow honor, to bestow praise or admiration, to give worship to God. That's what it means in the simplest sense, to give God glory, to give him honor, praise, admiration, worship. But here's the catch for us, I think, friends, that we will never rightly or fairly glorify God. We'll never fairly give him honor, praise, admiration, worship until we come to enjoy him, until we come to delight in him. And the other way around too, the more that we enjoy God for himself, the more we delight in him as our sole pleasure, the more we will, as a result, Worship him, glorify him, give him praise, honor, and glory. The more willingly we'll do it, the more appropriately we'll do it, the more, uh, uh, the more we will magnify and exalt Christ out of a will and desire that just God has put in our own hearts. We do not worship things that we don't enjoy. We do not worship things we don't enjoy. It's football playoff season. I enjoy the 49ers. I don't worship them, but I, I, am, I am sure to give them you know, praise and honor right now because they are blowing through the NFC like nobody's business. I do not like the Cowboys. So I am not prone to talk about, oh, I know, I know. Nobody, nobody, brought, nobody brought rocks to church today. That's good. Because I don't enjoy the Cowboys. I don't, I don't talk, I don't sing praises of the Cowboys. You feel? We only, we only worship the things we enjoy. And if we enjoy God, we will worship him. But if we don't enjoy God, even the worship that we give to him will be in some way hindered. It will be some way less. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But in order to glorify God, Christian, we have to come to enjoy him, to delight in him, to love being in his presence. 
So what in the world is so enjoyable about God? Why should I be delighted in him? Well, let's look to God's word, to the Psalm of David in Psalm 16 to find out. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word? This is a great psalm. David, the king of Israel, living about a thousand years before Jesus, pens this psalm of praise to God, Psalm 16. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. What is so enjoyable about God and worthy of giving him glory? Well, we see here David, the king of Israel, explaining to us several things about uh, about what, what is enjoyable about God. Now, the psalm starts in a funny place. Verse 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The psalm starts in a place that seems bad. It almost seems like David is going to start a lament, like life is really bad. Lord, I need your help. Here are all the enemies around me, etc., etc., like we've seen in other lament psalms before. But by verse 2, the whole tone of the psalm shifts dramatically away from David's need for preservation and the presence of the Lord to extolling, to exalting, to praising the goodness of God and then expanding on the joy that he has in the Lord and all the verses that follow. So let's look very briefly and quickly at several things that David says are enjoyable about God or reasons why God is enjoyable. First, in verse 2, God is enjoyable because he is the source of all good things. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Dear friend, whether you agree with David or not, this truth remains. Every good thing in your life comes from God. Every good thing in your life is from God. And friend, even the bad things God intends to use for your sanctification and for your glory. So even the hard things in your life are really good things. Every good thing comes from the Lord. He's the source of all good things. Then in verse 3, David shows us that God brings delight to his soul through the worship of his people. That is to say, he delights, God delights the soul through worship. In verse 3, he says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom all is my delight. Now here, David is speaking about the people of Israel as being saints, a a holy people, a, a sanctified people, a people for God's purpose. And he gets this idea, this understanding, from what God says about the people of Israel in Exodus 19. In Exodus, God is bringing his people, the Hebrews, out of slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus 19, God says he is doing this so that they will be his treasured possession, a a royal nation, a, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. They are to be sanctified, holy people. They are to be a saintly people who live to worship God. And 
David says, it's in the presence of the saintly people of God as they are worshiping that I am delighted. God is enjoyable because he delights our soul, the soul of his people as we worship him together. Our enjoyment of God leads us to worship him and our worship of God leads us to enjoy him. It's a cycle, you see. As we come to enjoy God for all of his many attributes and his perfections, it leads us to exult in his greatness. And as we exult in his greatness, we come to enjoy him more for those attributes. And as we enjoy him more, we worship him more. And as we worship him more, we enjoy him more. Do you see? Dear Christian, if you have a hard time worshiping with the church when we all get together, I would submit to you, you have a problem with enjoying God. If you struggle to sing praises, not because you can't carry a tune, but because you just don't want to sing. Dear friend, it's because your soul has no song to sing. Learn to enjoy God. See him for his many manifold perfections, his love for you, his grace to you, that he is the source of all good things and that he seeks to delight your soul as you worship him with the family of the redeemed. Third, in verse four, David says that God is enjoyable because he is true and because he is worthy of worship. Now, he says this in the negative sense. We, we make this from a negative inference. Verse 4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another god, false gods, shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. David is saying, those who worship false gods have lives that lead only to sorrow, only to destruction. And because my God, because the Lord is true, I will worship him. Because he is true, he's worthy of my worship. Because he is true, I delight in knowing him and in worshiping him. And because he is the, deli- he is the one who delights me so much to worship him, how could I ever worship a false god that would lead me to sadness, to sorrow, to destruction? It's ridiculous. The Lord is enjoyable because he is true. And because he is worthy of worship. Next, we see in verses 5 and 6 that God is a delight to David. He is enjoyable because he provides appropriately and generously for his people. Verses 5 and 6 say, the Lord is my chosen portion. That means the Lord is my, he's my inheritance. He is what is coming. He, he is what I in, inherit in this life. He is my cup. You hold my lot, says David. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Here he's speaking about lines of demarcation of like a family inheritance of land. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. But it's not the land that David delights in. It's not, it's not a, a, you know, a, a, a financial bounty that he's coming to inherit upon the death of his father that he delights in. No, verse 5 says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my cup. He's the one that provides for me. He is the one who provides appropriately and generously. And because of that, I delight in him. We find in verses 7 and 8, continuing on, that God is enjoyable because he gives counsel, because he gives instruction, and because he is present Verses 7 and 8 say this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. How does God give counsel? How does God give instruction? How does God lead our hearts to instruct us? How is he ever present in our lives? Well, at least in this way, through his word, through the scriptures, the way that God has spoken to us. Dear Christian, do you see God's word as a source of delight to you? Not, not because it, it, it's, it's pleasant to read, but because of the God that it leads you to, the God that has spoken to you through it. 
The psalmist in Psalm 119, you all know Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in all of Scripture, 150 verses or so, 22 different stanzas, all speaking about the praiseworthiness, the, 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 the glory of and the delight that is in uh, God's Word. And in Psalm 119, verses 129 through 131, the psalmist says this, Your testimonies, your word, are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. God is enjoyable because he gives counsel and instruction through his word. Because he speaks to us and is present with us uh, through his word and through the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in the heart of everyone who believes in him. Do you enjoy God through his word? Do you enjoy God because of how his word brings delight to your soul? I pray that you do. Because of all of these wonderful and enjoyable aspects of God's existence and his action in the psalmist's life, David rejoices. Verse 9 says, Therefore, because of all of these things that God is, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Because of all the enjoyable and delightful facets of David's relationship with God and and all of the enjoyable things of God himself, David glorifies him. He worships him. He says, my heart is glad, my soul rejoices because of who God is. Then he goes further to give some more reasons about why God is so enjoyable. In verse 10, we read that God is enjoyable. God is a delight to our souls because he secures the soul of his beloved. Verse 10 says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. David shows us that because his delight is in the Lord and, and because his relationship with God has made his soul secure, has made his spirit secure. Uh, it has also made his body secure in this way. David knows that God will not allow him when he dies to be left to Sheol, the land of the dead, to be there abandoned with the wicked dead or to, be, uh, to, to let his Holy One see corruption. That means to be destroyed by his enemy. David says, I know because my delight is in you that my life is secure. Now, does that mean that David won't die? No. What it means, though, is that because David knows God, there is nothing in life or in death to fear because he belongs to him. But these verses, dear friends, are more than just about David. This verse, specifically verse 10 of Psalm 16, we learn by reading other places of God's word, particularly in the New Testament, are not just about King David, but that they have a deeper and a fuller meaning in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter, the disciple and, and, and sort of foreman of the disciples uh, in the early church, quotes this psalm in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, the first Christian sermon. He quotes Psalm uh, 16, verse 10. You will not abandon my, sh- my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And then after that, he says in his sermon, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he, that Jesus was not abandoned to Hades when he died for sins, nor did his flesh see corruption for he was raised from the dead. This Jesus, Peter says, God raised up and of that we are all witnesses." 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So you see, the joy of security that David himself expresses in the presence and in the knowledge of God, that joy is ultimately found not in David, but in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead of whom Peter says David was speaking prophetically about whether he knew it or not in Psalm 16. Because Jesus was not abandoned to the grave, but risen by the Spirit and power of God, there is delight, there is joy, there is pleasure to be had for the Christian who has faith in him. Finally, in verse 11, David concludes by saying that God is delightful because his very presence is a pleasure. His very presence is brings enjoyment to our soul. His very presence is a delight. This he, the, the way that he puts that is, is this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a little bit of joy. No, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pr- pleasures here and there. No, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The way that David puts this is that there is everlasting pleasure, everlasting delight, joy that will never end in the very presence of God. Why is God so enjoyable? For at least all of these reasons in Psalm 16. All of these reasons that David gives in the midst of, like verse 1 says, a time where he is fearful for his own preservation. Preserve me, O God, in you I take refuge. And it's like as soon as David cries out for help from God, he remembers all the great things about God and how God is a delight and a joy to him. Dear friend, do our souls cry out in the same way in times of trouble and in times of joy? That God is our delight, that he is our pleasure, that all the things that he's provided for us lead us to enjoy him and in enjoying him, to worship him and worshiping him, to enjoy him more. You see where I'm going? To glorify God is to enjoy him and to enjoy him is to glorify him. But maybe this is all uh, new information to you. (laughs) Maybe you have never thought that part of giving God glory is to enjoy him personally, to delight in his presence. Maybe you've never felt permission (laughs) to to, to enjoy God's presence. Maybe your whole life has been, in, spent, been spent in churches or in the spiritual experience of always feeling guilty before God, of never feeling like you can, you can actually have a, a real positive relationship with Him. Like God is not someone to be enjoyed, but He's someone to be feared and always to cower in front of. Dear friend, I, I pray that our time in God's Word this morning releases you from that frees you from that. If you're not yet a Christian and you've always thought that to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, means to have a boring life of, of just uh, puritanical doldrums, right? That there's nothing good about following Jesus. I hope that you would see from God's word today that the best thing about following Jesus is knowing Jesus, that he does not, he, he did not die for our sins and, and be raised from the dead, calling us to salvation through faith in him so that we could be boring, so we'd be dull and sad and, and disappointed. but that, So we would, more than anybody else, be full of life and excitement in this world and in the next because of who we know and how we've come to know God. So how then does enjoying God glorify Him? Allow me to steal an illustration from a better pastor than me. Suppose that, and I'll use my own life as an example, but just know that I stole this illustration. 
I don't steal a lot of things, uh, only the really good ones. But suppose for a moment that for my anniversary this year, Nikki and I will be married 11 years in June. Uh, suppose for my anniversary that I bought several dozen roses, uh, had them arranged nicely, and as Nikki came home from work, I surprised her at the door with all of these roses, and she, in her excitement, because I never do anything like that, says, what is all this? Where is this coming from? This, where is this wonderful? Why have you done this wonderful thing in giving me all of these roses? And suppose that my response to her was, well, you know, I read in a marriage book this last week that this is what good husbands are supposed to do. So I'm checking that box. It's our anniversary. I'm supposed to be romantic. This book tells me flowers was a, a way to show uh, romantic interest in you. And so here you go. Box checked. Imagine, on the other hand, different scenario, same scenario, right? Nikki comes home, present her with the roses. She says, what is all this? Where's all this coming from? You literally never do anything like this. And my response was, Nikki, I just couldn't help myself. Listen, I've got a whole evening planned. Go change your clothes. The sitter's on the way. We are going on the most romantic date that we have ever been on. You don't even know what is waiting for you and how good this is going to be. So go get changed. We're on our way. We're out the door on the the evening of a lifetime. You see there, in this scenario, my buying roses out of obligation because I read it in a book somewhere and I'm checking off the box because that's what you're supposed to do. My buying roses because it's what I'm supposed to do out of obligation does not honor my wife, but makes her uh, out to be a possession to be maintained. I read in a book somewhere, this is what we're supposed to do. Change oil, buy flowers for your wife. You know, it's, it's what you do. That does not honor her. Right? That, that, does not, that does not exalt her in my mind. If anything, it makes her feel less than. You're an obligation to me. But in the other example, when she comes home and I say, I couldn't help myself. I love you so much. And, and this is just a, a little bit of how I can show my devotion to you, my love for you is to do this and to take you out and, and, and just to, to please you this evening because I delight in you. In that example, out of love and enjoyment of my wife for the treasure that she is, I am motivated to show in tangible ways how I so adore and value her. And in that scenario, she is honored. She is valued. She is exalted. She is loved by my enjoyment of her. Do you see? Prominent pastor John Piper says this one profound truth in the simplest of ways, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied, when we are most delighted, when we are most pleased, when we are most fulfilled by him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied by Him. Dear friend, to glorify God and to enjoy God are are not two opposite things, are not two things in competition with, with one another, but two things that fit together like two halves of a whole. There is not one without the other. You cannot glorify God until you've come to enjoy Him. And you cannot, uh, uh, you cannot enjoy God and, and not glorify Him, do you see? And God is most glorified. He's most honored. He's most valued. He, he is most uh, uh, delighted with us when our delight is in him. You see, God does not want our happiness to be in the things that he gives, but our happiness to be in him, the giver. Yeah. 
And he is most pleased. He is most honored. He is most glorious when he is our greatest delight. We exist to glorify God. And we cannot glorify him apart from enjoying him. And we have seen in Scripture that there are a good many things worth enjoying God for and enjoying about God. And I want to shift our attention now to, to think about then how can I begin to enjoy God? If this is, a, this is a, a struggle for you, and I understand it may be for some, how do I enjoy God? I've never been told that I could as a Christian. I always thought my whole life was just duty, 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 obligation, obligation, checking boxes, doing things to make God happy with me. How can I begin to enjoy God for who he is? I'd like to give you three thoughts, three ideas in that vein. How can I begin to enjoy God? First, orient your heart, orient your soul to delight, to take pleasure in God, the giver. Right? Not in the gifts, but in the giver. This you can do. By making it a priority to spend time with God privately. To spend time in His presence. You can do this through Bible reading and and through prayer primarily. It's a good place to start. We have several Bible reading plans that will get you through the year in God's Word uh, day by day. Those are available to you on our our welcome desk as um, as you head out of this room. You can pick one of those up. Spending time in prayer. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. That word blessed, blessed is the man, means happy. Happy is the one who worships the Lord. Happy is the one who delights in his word. Dear friend, you can grow to delight in God, the giver of all good things, uh, by beginning to get to know him personally through his word and, and in prayer. You can delight in God, the giver, another way too. And that is simply through reminding yourself or even coming to know for the first time that God delights in you, Christian. You can delight in God because he delights in you. God is happy in you. He is pleased in you. And that sounds crazy because you're thinking, no, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've rejected God. I've rebelled against him. I've acted in my own sinful way. How can God be pleased with me? Well, Psalm 147 verses 10 and 11 tells us this that the Lord's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in his steadfast love. Understand this today, Christian. If you know Jesus, if you have turned from sin and trusted in Christ, God takes delight in you. You don't have anything to do to please him, to make him happy. He is delighted in you because of your faith in Jesus, his righteous son who gave his life to bring you forgiveness of sin. Dear friend, feel free to enjoy God by knowing he is delighted in you as you worship him and give your life to him. Delight in God the giver. Second, you can delight, you can enjoy God by taking pleasure in the realities of the gospel by taking pleasure in the realities of the good news that Jesus died for sinners. You can do this a few different ways. First, remember who you were before knowing Jesus. Go back in your mind to that time in your life where you were still rebelling against God. Maybe you were only six years old. Maybe you are 66 years old when you came to know Jesus. But at any rate, there was some time in your life where you were not faithfully following Christ, where you were a sinner in need of grace. Dear friend, that might be you today. Remember who you were before knowing Christ. 
And then recall, remind yourself how compelling the perfect person and work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection was to your soul. Rehearse in your mind that moment where you realize Jesus died for me. That God in his love for me sent his son to pay the penalty for my sin, to bring me into right relationship with him. This is a beautiful truth. How could I but give my life to Jesus? Of course I must. Remember how compelling the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead was to you. And then day by day, rehearse the ancient gospel truth. Remind yourself that he who knew no sin, the person, the perfect son of Jesus Christ, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Rehearse this beautiful ancient truth that because of your faith in Jesus, your sinfulness has been exchanged for Christ's righteousness. You are no longer an enemy to God, but a child adopted by God. You no longer displease God by your rebellion against him, but you are pleasing to God because of Christ's righteousness, which you have been clothed in. Dear friend, enjoy God by taking pleasure in this cosmic truth of the gospel. This is the best news that we could ever hope to hear, and it opens wide the doors for us to enjoy and take pleasure in God. Now, I said first that you can begin to enjoy God by by delighting in God, the, the giver of all good gifts, by delighting in the one who is the source of all good things. But we can also enjoy God's gifts for how they lead you back to joy in God himself. That the things that God gives us, the things that he blesses us with, the things that he blesses our lives with are not meant for, for us to, uh, to enjoy in and of themselves, but to enjoy as they lead us back to God in whom our greatest delight is. What are some of the gifts that God has given to you that you can enjoy for how they lead you back to God? Well, first of all, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's own spirit living in the hearts of those who have repented of sin and trusted Christ for salvation. God himself, in the person of his spirit, lives in you, Christian. Your body is a temple of God's own Holy Spirit. That is a wonderful gift. The Holy Spirit is is there to open our eyes that we might understand uh, the scriptures that he himself has inspired. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to make us holier, to work sanctification in us, that we might look and love and live more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift of God, but we don't enjoy the Holy Spirit just for the things he gives us, but because uh, because he is given by God himself, because he is God himself. Enjoy the good gifts of your own family and the provisions uh, uh, of your life that come from God. Like David says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Recognizing that the small things you have in life, the relationships you have with your family, with your spouse, with good friends, that all of these come from God's provision. That God gives us family that we might know uh, uh, in a tangible sense, a, a human love similar to the kind of love that God has for us. That God provides for our needs with homes and clothes and jobs that provide for us as a way of saying, I love you and I care for you and I'm going to provide for you this way. Begin to see those gifts as, uh, as those which come from God and delight in God as the one who knows well enough to give good things. Enjoy the gift of the church. Yeah. This, this blessed, beautiful body of followers of Jesus Christ who have all come to understand the glorious reality that Jesus died and was raised again to make us right with God. Delight in the gathering of the church. When she sings, you sing. When she prays, you pray. 
When she weeps, you weep. And when she rejoices, you rejoice. Your life, enjoy the, the, the gift that the church is to your life, to a community of followers of Jesus that God has intended to use for your sanctification, to make you holy, to help you in your walk with Jesus. Love the gift of the church and love the God who is wise enough to give it. Fourth, learn to see your spiritual gifts and natural abilities for service in the church. Like Peter says in 1 Peter 4, however you've been gifted, whether it's a speaking gift or a serving gift, use it for the the good of the church and the glory of God. God gives us gifts of teaching and hospitality and mercy and service and administration, all for the the upbuilding, all for the maturing of the body of Christ. He gives us these gifts by His Spirit to be used uh, in the, the community of faith that we are in that we all might grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ our Savior. So, dear friend, have you been given gifts? And if you're a Christian, the answer is yes. Enjoy them as gifts of God to be used in in glorifying Him. Exercise your gifts uh, that you might use them for what God has given them for and so glorify Him. And then fifth and finally, enjoy the gifts of evangelism and discipleship for how they lead you back to joy in God Himself. Some of you are looking at me and you're saying, how is evangelism a gift? How is discipling another believer a gift? That all sounds like work for me to do. Let me paint it for you in this picture. The work of evangelism, the task of evangelism, is to take as ambassadors for Christ the good news that Jesus died for sinners to the world. The good news that we have delighted ourselves with, that we have come to delight in God for, to take it to those who have not yet heard it in sharing the gospel, in evangelizing those who have not yet come to know Christ, here's what we are. We are, first of all, on one hand, working alongside God as he has assigned for us to do to accomplish his purpose of calling men, women, and children from every tribe, nation, and tongue to to be saved of their sin. So we get to work with God in this plan of salvation. He does all the saving, but he is delighted to use us in that process. And, And here's what happens when somebody comes to faith in Jesus as we share the gospel with them. Their whole life changes. No longer are they dead sinners living apart from Christ, apart from God, subject to eternal separation from Him in hell. But now, in placing faith in Christ, they are His child. They've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. It's the great transformation. No longer are they those upon whom God see, uh, when God looks, He sees only their sin, but they are now those upon whom when God looks, He sees only the righteousness of His Son. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ and people respond in faith to Him, there ought to be nothing that gives us greater joy. It is a gift to share the gospel because in so doing we are communicating the same good news that saved our soul you see and so is discipling it is hard to give of our lives to sacrifice of our time to spend to to spend time in god's word helping other christians who are maybe newer in faith or less mature in faith than we are to grow in their maturity and obedience to god but it is a delight to do so when we take time squeezing our lives out into the life of another who, who, who needs to grow in Christ. When we're taking all the, the knowledge that, that we are uh, gaining through our own time in God's Word and our time in small groups and our time in corporate worship, all that knowledge that we have ha, has been poured into us and we squeeze it out into the life of another, what we see is that other beginning to come to life and being filled in the same way that we were filled by those things so that they too can then themselves squeeze themselves out into the life of another, you see? 
discipling, spending time to, in God's word to help others grow in maturity and obedience is a gift of God. Dear friend, think about where you would be apart from those in your life who have spent time investing in your maturity and obedience to Jesus. All of us have someone that comes to mind, a John, a Robert, a Kathy, a Karen, that comes to mind, that came alongside us, to help us grow in our relationship and our walk with Jesus. What a gift that was to us. What a gift to give to others. And as we do that, as we see the body of Christ growing in maturity, growing in obedience to Jesus, we then look and see God doing in their lives what only he could do. I'm not a very good teacher. But the things that God does, the things that God does through me, Right? And, and the things God does in me through other people as we come to the word together in times of discipling are only the things that God can do. And so it is upon us as Christians to expend ourselves, to, to spend ourselves, uh, to, to profit others in the faith, to see them grow. But in so doing, we receive the joy of seeing how God is working in us. And again, we're, we're, we're growing in our enjoyment of God in a way that leads us to glorify him. The more we enjoy him, the more we glorify him, the more we glorify him, the more we come to enjoy him, and so on, this ever-increasing spiral, concentric circles, ripple effect of glory of God in the world and our enjoyment of him. You know, the Westminster Catechism, a a teaching tool, it's about 400 years old, Uh, a teaching tool that uses questions and answers to teach children about the faith, the first question in the Westminster Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? Which is to say, what is the greatest purpose for which we can, we can live our lives? And the answer to that question is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen. The greatest purpose of our life is to worship God, to give him uh, uh, adoration, praise, honor, glory, to, to, to worship him in the world and to enjoy him to enjoy him. Our mission as a church is to glorify God, to give him honor, praise, admiration, to give him worship by making disciples of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And dear friends, we will never fulfill our mission until we come to enjoy the all enjoyable God. I pray you feel free to enjoy God today, to delight in him because he is supremely enjoyable. And he is supremely worthy of all glory, praise, and honor. And it is his delight to use us to call others into that cycle of glory and enjoyment, glorification and enjoyment as we share the gospel of Jesus with those who have not heard it and help those who respond in faith to grow in maturity and obedience to Christ uh, as only God can lead them to do. Church, I, I pray that you'll join me in this mission this year to glorify God, and to enjoy him. And friend, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but this is a compelling vision of Christianity to you. That, that the only reason that maybe you have not given your life to, to Christ as Lord is because you thought it would be boring to be a Christian. I pray that our time in God's word this morning has completely dispelled that myth and that you are ready to give your life in faith to Jesus, that you are ready to turn from sin, to follow the supremely delightful God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for your sin and was raised from the dead to make you right with him. In a moment, we'll sing a song of response. And I pray that it would be a song, and I pray that as we sing, our, our, our hearts would be delighted in God, who is the giver of all good things. 
And our, our souls would be delighted, would be pleased in his presence. And friend, if you need to enter into that relationship with God for the first time by trusting Jesus, his son, in a way you never have before, I'll be standing here, uh, here at the front this morning. Our student minister, Corey, will be standing here as well to receive you, to talk with you about whatever you need to do to begin enjoying God in your life. Let me pray for us. And as we do, prepare your hearts to enjoy God in continued worship.